Before we get into this episode, if you enjoy the Cricket Mentoring Podcast, I'd love it if you could please take 60 seconds to leave a review, as it helps us get heard by more people. G'day legends, welcome back or welcome to the Cricket Mentoring Podcast. The idea of this podcast is to share the unique stories of cricketers, coaches and performance experts with the aim of giving you, serious and committed cricketers, coaches or parents, some techniques, strategies and inspiration so you can become a better and more confident cricketer and ultimately live a better, happier life. This episode is with someone who has a really inspiring story. New Zealand all-rounder Daryl Mitchell is relatively new to international cricket, having made his debut in 2019. At the time of this conversation, Mitchell has played four tests, three one-day internationals and 15 T20 internationals. He already has a test and ODI 100 and is fast becoming one of the best all-rounders in the game. But it certainly hasn't been an easy ride for Mitchell, and as you will hear in this episode, he hasn't always been destined for international cricket. In this episode, Mitchell shared what it was like growing up with a father who was an all-black and famous rugby player and coach. How we had a little private cricket academy in Perth with Marcus Stoinis and Marcus Harris who were club teammates. Why he left Perth and relocated back to New Zealand. What he does away from cricket to get balance in his life. How it took him about five years to learn what worked for him and how to manage playing to his strengths while trying to negate his weaknesses. How he asked his state captain to be the death bullet and what he had to do physically, technically and tactically to be at the level required to do the job for his team. How he prepares for a match and how it changes depending on how he feels, plus a whole lot more. I have no doubt you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. To follow Daryl, you can find him on Instagram at at Daz, D-A-Z, Mitchell, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L 47. If you enjoy this conversation, please send him a DM letting him know that you listened to it and you enjoyed it. Now let's get into this episode with New Zealand's Daryl Mitchell. G'day legends, I am very lucky to have New Zealand all-rounder Daryl Mitchell with me today. G'day Daz. Hey mate, how you going? Going very well, thank you. How are you? How are things over there in New Zealand? Yeah, it's obviously heading into winter now, so it's a little bit colder, so it makes those uh, early morning sessions at the moment a bit freezing, but um, yeah, no, all good here. And you've obviously, the season has finished over there for sort of club, um, state cricket, but you've got a tour coming up, so what does your time look like at the moment? What are you up to uh, now? Uh, yeah, so we got, we finished uh, about probably two weeks ago now, um, so it was nice to spend a little bit of time at home with the family and the kids, but um yeah, training sort of doesn't really stop. We've got a tour to the UK in, in about another two weeks' time. So uh, you're getting as, as all the running and all the weights and stuff in um, to try and, yeah, sort of get the body ready for a big tour and um, just started hitting some balls and bowling again this week. So, yeah, it's all, all back on again, which is good fun. Yeah, when you're an international cricketer these days, you don't get too much of a break, do you? So you've got to sort of stay fit and use little pockets of time to sort of have a break and relax where you can. Um before we sort of get too far into your international cricket and where you're at right now, I want to take it back to the start. I want to take it back to your childhood. You, you sort of grew up in a sporting family. Your father's a, a famous All Black and, and a rugby coach. What are your earliest memories of cricket and what was your childhood like with cricket? Um, yeah, I always, always loved my cricket. Um, I guess, yeah, having a dad who followed him around the world uh, with rugby, travelling winter to winter pretty much. So, um, yeah, something that, 
Uh, we always, you know, always watch cricket on TV. And I remember as a little kid watching the Boxing Day Test and things like that at home. Um, and yeah, it was something that, as a every sort of New Zealand kid, you wanted to be an All Black in the winter and a Black Cap in the summer. And I was definitely one of those. So um, yeah, we always had a ball in my hand. Um, I lo- even now, I love all sports. Um, and yeah, just sort of grew up. Uh, playing as many sports as I could, really. Yeah, and so if you're going winter to winter, obviously cricket being a summer sport, how old were you when you started playing cricket competitively? Um, so, uh, yeah, obviously with Dad's job, we've we've travelled all around the world. We've spent a bit of time. I was born in New Zealand and then moved to England for a little bit um, and then moved back home again to New Zealand. And, um, yeah, it's probably about year four at school, so what's that, eight, nine, ten, somewhere around there. I started playing some cricket and, um, yeah, I Luckily enough, I sort of um, I was always a bit bigger uh, than all the other kids at, at that age, so I could try and bully and hit the ball as hard as I could. And yeah, luckily enough, I sort of grew a love for the game. And um, yeah, definitely in the summer, I was yeah pretty passionate about it. So, at what age then did you think I love cricket? I'm okay at it, and maybe it's something I want to pursue. No doubt, coming from a sporting background, you thought professional sport was a great thing; it was an option. But when did you sort of think cricket is for me, and I want to chase it? Um, I, I guess always in the back of your mind, it's something that you dream of. Um, yeah, like personally, I've always wanted to play for New Zealand, so that's always in the in the back of your head. See, uh, growing up, guys like Stephen Fleming, Chris Cairns, you know, that as a as a ten year old boy watching them play, and then obviously moving to Australia for a little bit as well, seeing Ricky Ponting and that, you're like, oh, it'd be pretty cool to to do that for a job. So um, yeah, I, I probably to be honest, didn't really. I think it was even at finishing school that it was a real chance of of making a living out of it. Um, but luckily enough, yeah, a few things fell my way and a little bit of hard work. And yeah, um, here we are today. But yeah, you sort of even now you pinch yourself and, and think how lucky you are to do this for a job. Yeah, no doubt lucky to do it. But I think you're being pretty modest with a little bit of hard work and a lot of luck. I think it's probably the other way around, a lot of hard work and, and a bit of luck along the way, which everybody needs. Um, take us back to your teenage years, obviously moving around. You came to Perth when you were here in Perth, and that's when we sort of had a few battles when you were here in Perth. But year 10, you were here for about five years. Tell us about your teenage years. Were you you were playing a bit of uh, rugby in the winter, a bit of cricket in the summer, and, and were you training flat out? Were you really trying to chase your, your dreams and your goals, or was it just a bit of fun at that point? Um, yeah, so I moved to Perth uh, year 10 at school, so about, I think I was 15 years old, Dad had He'd just been the all-black coach, um, lost the World Cup semi-final to Australia, um, got the sack, and so we moved over to Perth as a family uh, for him to be with the Western Force. And uh, at the time, didn't really want to come over. I was, I was quite happy at the high school I was in, in New Zealand, and um, I remember they took me to Hale, and I saw the, what is it, 15 grass cricket nets or whatever, and I thought, yeah, okay, I can probably, I can probably deal with this. So, um, yeah, obviously, I was, I was very lucky to go to, um, to Hale and, and to play the, the PSA school system there, um, to be able to play two-day cricket, I think really uh, helped my game um, at that young age. And, um, yeah, obviously played rugby in the winter and, and it's something that I do love my rugby, but I think cricket was probably always going to be the, the sport that I really loved. And, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, played for the school stuff. Um, probably the big turning point for me was actually meeting Noddy Holder. Um, he was sort of, he's been my, my mentor for, um, yeah, 10, 15 years now. And um, yeah, to meet him at 15 years old and, and get him to sort of teach me the how he, his, his yeah, theories behind batting and, and life itself. Um, you're obviously very grateful. I don't think I'd be sitting here today without having someone like him to help teach me in the game. So I think he played a, a massive role um, being at Revo Sports there. 
Yeah, awesome. And he's had a huge impact on so many um, Western Australian cricketers and, and cricketers from all over the world who've come to Perth for, for many, many years. Um, now, you, tell us about the impact your parents have had on your career. Obviously, your dad is a, is, as I've said, and we've said he's a famous rugby person. He comes from a professional sporting background. No doubt your mother has had a big impact as well. I, I sort of saw somewhere that you said it was cool growing up. I got to watch the All Blacks and the Chiefs train and be around professional sport, which probably helped me create who I am and how I go about things today. So tell us a little bit more about the impact your parents have had and, and seeing what your dad does growing up. Yeah, uh, you get this question a little bit, I guess. And it's um, it's a funny one because growing up, that's all you know. It's just your dad goes off to work like like every other dad does. And it just happened that instead of going to an office or something, he'd be going telling rugby players how to chase a rugby ball. So, um, yeah, at, at the time, I probably you probably don't realise how lucky you are that you're around a a professional environment and a high performance environment. You know, as a kid, used to go down and watch trainings, catch the balls. But I remember standing behind the post at 10 years old or 12 years old and catching Dan Carter kicking goals or Johnny Wilkinson when we were even younger. And um, yeah, you look back now, and you're like, actually, that's that was pretty cool. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's certain things that have rubbed off in my lifestyle and how I how I go about being a professional athlete um, from watching um, all those guys uh, from five years old train and. And seeing how when dad comes home grumpy about certain player doing something stupid or not doing this and that, you think it probably has, yeah, rubbed off. Um, but at the same time, I think, yeah, it, it was just, it was my mum and my dad. Dad went off to work and yeah, I was just very lucky that, um, yeah, he was obviously a rugby coach. And, 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 and again, it obviously allowed me opportunities in life to, to do things that um, travel around the world and follow sport, which, you know, a lot of uh, young kids don't get that opportunity to. So, yeah, very lucky. Yeah, and, I, and you mentioned how at year 10 you didn't want to leave New Zealand um, to come to Perth, but sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. Now, let's go back to that period. Um, you, you were here for four or five years. You, you sort of finished your schooling here, started university here. You played for Western Australia under 19s with, with Mitch Marsh and a few other guys. Um, you played a lot of bit of first grade cricket for Scarborough, which is where I played against you a few times. Talk us through that period and, and then what was it that took you back to New Zealand? Was it that you didn't think you'd get a look in here in WA? Was it there were more opportunities in New Zealand? What what sort of took you back there and, and what was going on during that period here? Yeah, I guess um, even to go back to that end of school into Scarborough, I think, you know, uh, looking back now, I was, I was very lucky that um, we actually had a, a good little group of mates, uh, the likes of Marcus Stoinis, Marcus Harris, um, and, and some other guys who are, who are some of our best mates now. We actually finished school, went to uni and that, but we pretty much trained with each other every day. And what we, we did it because, yes, we, we just loved playing cricket. We wanted to be the best we could be. And um, it was almost like our own little mini academy there at Revo for a little bit, even though, yeah, we, it wasn't obviously organised, but uh, I think that played a massive role in the development of, of me as a player, being able to, yeah, work with those guys and, and obviously have Noddy over, uh, oversee us and help us as well. Um, I think that, yeah. Those formative years of from 17, 18, 19, um, playing first grade cricket for Scarborough. Luckily enough to play, be a part of a, a pretty strong Scarborough team and win a few flags along the way as well. And, um, I think that really, yeah, helped fast track my game, um, in many ways. You know, Scarborough only I probably batted seven, I think, and bowled about fourth change. But to be around those guys, Clinton Heron, uh, Justin Langer, um, Theo Theodoropoulos, Ty Hopes, all those guys who dominated great cricket for so long um, just helped progress my game a lot quicker and 
um, yeah, I guess yeah, you look back now and you think actually that that's really helped shape the player that I am and today. So um, yeah, that was obviously the that bit. Um, and then yeah, uh, got a got a chance to come back and play. Un, I think it was like a futures under twenty threes uh, tournament here in New Zealand. Um, and yeah, personally, I've always always wanted to play for New Zealand, even though I was I was over there playing uh, WN19s and stuff. It, it just wouldn't have felt right. So. Ended up playing wearing green and gold or something like that, but yeah, but in the sack properly. So, um, yeah, to have the opportunity to come back home to New Zealand and, and play for Northern Districts, which was the team that I'd, I'd grown up in. Um, I played under 14s, under 15s for, um, and then yeah, went and, and scored a few runs in under 20s, under, I think it was under 21s or yeah, tournament at 19 years old. Um, and then got offered a contract for that next summer to come back and, and um, yeah, sort of start my my life as a cricketer over here. So um, yeah, very uh, again, like you look at, at small moments in your career that at the time you just you're going out and competing and trying to do a job. And um, yeah, for me to score, I think the first game I scored a hundred. And um, if I'd nicked off for a duck, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. But um, yeah, certain little things happen along the way that you look back and go, yeah, happy days that that happened. And um, yeah, here we are. Yeah, well, it's about taking the opportunities you get, I guess. And how did how did someone get in contact with you to go back? Was that you chasing Northern Districts or did someone from yeah. the pathways earlier on realise, oh, he's in Perth playing grade cricket, let's get him back? How did that work? Yeah, so there's a, there's a, um, a coach who was, my, I think he was my ND under-15s coach at the time. Um, he was one of the Northern District selectors and, yeah, sort of just kept in contact a little bit. And, yeah, the opportunity arose to come back for that tournament. And, yeah, I jumped at it at the time I was, you know, playing for Scarborough and I, you know, there's got guys way better than I was in WA, like Mitch Marsh, Stoin, um, they're miles, miles ahead of where I was as a player. So, uh, the opportunity for me to come back home and, and yeah, and, and be able to do this for a job and, and just to be honest, just play cricket. I, I just love the game. So to be able to compete and, and to be able to do that, um, yeah, I just jumped at the chance and yeah, obviously it was nearly near as much money as, um, as what a domestic contract or something over in Australia was at the time. But, um, yeah, to, to be able to jump to that and, and just be able to, yeah, play cricket for a living is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just want to take a moment to sort of congratulate you and, and say well done because going back to that period, like you said, you were sort of batting seven, bowling probably second or third change and playing against you a few times. I personally, from my memory, I don't think I thought, oh, this kid's going to be an international cricketer. So to have gone to New Zealand to have made that sacrifice and, and change of lifestyle when you had your close group of mates here and you were enjoying, you're doing reasonably well here, to have then plugged away, which we're going to talk about now, to, to now be an international cricketer, I think is really, really inspiring. I think it's a full, full credit to you and, and your work ethic and, and all the, the, the sort of sacrifices you've made along the way. So, yeah, congratulations on everything you've done. Um, and I think it, it really gives hope to a lot of young players that, there isn't just one path to being an international cricketer and, and you're coming up to your 30th birthday, you will hopefully have another six, seven, eight years as, a, as an international player and have a really decorated career at the end of it all. And not everyone breaks in at 21 or 23 and, and, and your story, I think, will inspire a lot of 14, 15, 17-year-olds who might not be the best right now. So well done. No, th- yeah, and thanks for that. But I think also, I think it's a blessing in many ways to have not made it at 19 or 20 because I think it allowed me to learn my game at at one stage at Scarborough then the next stage at WA19s what it like it meant that I was actually allowed to have some failures and have some and some learnings along the way so that 
hopefully now when I do get the chance, um, obviously had a small taste already, but more chance of international cricket that I've actually been through failings, which has tested my not only my technique and but also my character and my person and the person I am. And I think that yeah, I look at that as a blessing that hopefully, yeah, um, it's going to help me in the in the years to come, so that I'm not sort of a deer in the headlights. As, a, as, as I would have been if I had played at 19 or 20 differently. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very, very true. Um, so now those first few years back in New Zealand, you, you played in the tournament, you got a contract. Did you play straight away in the first team? Did you have to plug away for in, in grade cricket for a while? Or how did that first few years look? Um, so, yeah, first year, um, I, was, I was quite lucky. My first year with Northern Districts, we won the Plunkett Shield, which was pretty cool. And um, at that stage, sort of, uh, Corey Anderson was the main all-rounder, and then there was obviously there was Trent Bolt, um, who was sort of on the verge. We just made New Zealand, but he's doing well, and we had a lot of really good senior players. Like we ch- got a chance to play with Dan Vittori, Scott Styrus, uh, the Marshall Twins, um, and for me that was really that was really cool because I, I sort of grown up as a little kid watching those older guys, and um, yeah, to just to learn off them that first year. Uh, I think I played maybe handful of one days and one first class game the last one of the season when we won the trophy which is pretty cool um but yeah just played a lot of second 11 cricket which is a a, a cricket over here and yes yeah, so, uh, just sort of again let me let my game um keep trying to bang out as many runs as i possibly could and yeah just keep trying to learn as much as i can from that environment and, and off those guys knowing that hopefully one day they get a bit older and i might get a chance so um yeah the first year that was sort of that and then the next summer um, actually, yeah, I had, a, I had a decent summer and um, it sort of, yeah, opened my eyes. I'm actually good enough to play at the at the yeah, first class level and, and that was really cool and really rewarding. Yeah, awesome. And you obviously started university here in Perth and then after a couple of years you shifted back to New Zealand. Is that something you carried on with um, as a backup or is that something you continued to do or where did you do, what did you do outside of cricket? Yeah, so I did a sports science degree at Edith Cowan um, and yeah, I, I, I was lucky that Sort of worked out that as I moved over, I was sort of the last year in a bit of my uni degree. So I made sure that I got that, got that done, um, by either coming back to Perth for a couple of exams or, or sitting them uh, in New Zealand at times as well. Um, just to make sure that I got that finished. And mum was pretty, pretty big on making sure that I had something outside of cricket, uh, not only just to help, um, yeah, if, if this didn't work, but, um, just to have a balance as well. I think it's crucial that you don't just live and breathe cricket 24-7 because it's obviously a, a pretty tough game at times. And if you um, yeah, if you don't have a, a balance and things outside of the game, it can definitely consume you. So, yeah, it's something even now I keep trying to find uh, different things to keep keep myself occupied. And I'm lucky I've got two daughters now, which definitely keep me on my toes and keep me <laughs> yeah, pretty balanced, as, as you well know. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, yeah, pretty full on. But I, I like to have... Um, other things outside of the game as well. Yeah, cool. Let's go a bit deeper into that because that's a question I had for you um, later on, but we'll get into it now. It's something that so many people struggle with, especially people who think a lot about the game, think deeply about the game, is disconnecting sort of their cricket from their life and having other things to take their energy and attention away from cricket so that they can give their full energy and attention to cricket when they need to. What are the things you've done sort of in your teens and your 20s? You obviously mentioned uni and studying, but you've got your daughters now. But in those years before you had your daughters, what were sort of your, your passions outside of the game and how did you get away from cricket? Yeah, I think it's it's something you do learn as you go. Um, I've, if I look back over 
the last what it's been 10 years now there's definitely times where it's consumed me and and i've sort of i wish if i if i went back now i could say it's it is just a game that doesn't sort of um how you go in the game of cricket doesn't define the person you are if that makes sense like um, whether you have a good or bad day but for me now coming home my two girls they're still going to smile at me with us for a duck or a hundred and um yeah so that that's probably mainly one of the big reasons why I've, I've been successful I think in the last few years is because I don't live and breathe by every um score or or game that we play as much as don't get me wrong I, I love competing and I hate losing but um on a personal point of view yeah I think that that balance of um yeah having things outside of the game and it, I think it's different for everyone so for me before kids um, I loved a bit of PlayStation so I'd sit that would be my sort of my time out um obviously my wife would hate me been on there too much because you want to hang but uh no it's it's um yeah that would be one way i'd get away and, and then just lots of coffees with mates i think um just being able to get outside of, especially outside of cricket circles and just yeah be able to hang with your friends and just yeah do the everyday things i, I think we definitely take for granted so um yeah i think the less you can be defined by the game of cricket the better in many ways and that to me is, is a huge message that i'm trying to instill in my young athletes the sort of 16 and 17 year olds i Listened to a great podcast a while ago um, with Ben Crow, who is Ash Barty, the tennis player's mentor. And he spoke about how Ash Barty um, fell out of love with tennis. She actually played in the women's big bash for a season, quit tennis. And then since she sort of was able to uh, define herself, not just as a tennis player, but as a person who played tennis and had other things in her life, she's then become the world number one. So I think that what you're saying there is having perspective that it's just a game. It's a big part of your life but it is still just a game and you've got so many other things. You're a father, you, you like PlayStation, you like your mates, you da, 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 da. That allows you and allows individuals to be able to just go and play with a bit more freedom and a little bit less anxiety or worry about what if I fail. Yeah, and I think, yeah, as a, as a young kid, having that, for me, having that degree, knowing that if cricket didn't work out, I'd actually be able to go and find a job of some sort that would keep me uh, stimulated as well. I think that, that was a big part early on because it allowed me to go and play the game with freedom. Um, but don't get me wrong, at the same time, like you want to make the most of everything you do as a cricketer. Um, so I think it's really cool because it allows you, when you show up to work each day, it's like, right, I'm going to be the best player I can be today and keep trying to get better. But then at the same time, you come home and how you went that day. It, and the big picture of thing that it doesn't really matter, but to you obviously it does. If that, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah. I think yeah. it's, it's really important to have that balance. Absolutely, absolutely. Great message for any young players watching. Now, going back to that period, you, you sort of did well that second season, average 50-odd. Um, you got picked in a New Zealand A tour to the subcontinent, which um, – and then it was about six years or so till you played your first – made your international debut. So in that period, there must have been some ups and some downs. Um, talk us through that sort of six-year period. You're obviously very close when you went away with New Zealand A. You were sort of next in line. You didn't quite make it for another six seasons. What happened in that time? Yeah, I guess when I first started um, playing first class, I was I was quite a how do I put it quite a stubborn character. So I, you know, I come up, I've got this technique. This is how I play. This is what I do. Um, obviously, did well the first year, and that probably reinforced that this is how I want to play the game. Um, go to India and Sri Lanka on an eight week trip with New Zealand A, and get spun out and think from growing up in New Zealand and then Perth never even never experienced any conditions like that and I thought my game would be able to handle uh, playing in those conditions and yeah obviously that didn't go as well as I would have liked um 
and it probably opened my eyes that okay actually I do need to to be adaptable and be able to actually um adapt my game to different scenarios and conditions I can't just play one way all the time so before um, that, before that, sorry to cut you off. Did you have potentially a coach at Northern Districts or Noddy or someone saying, "Hey, I think you should try this or let's do that," but you were a little bit stubborn and thought, "Nah, what I'm doing works. I don't need to try something different." Um, yeah, in a way, I get like I think. So yeah, growing up with Noddy, like again, I think the way he's set up my game has been um, yeah massive, and the principles that he's taught me are still massive in my game now. Um, but I think then when you have a lot of, uh, you'll experience it with kids that you work with now that you've got all sorts of coaches, whether it's a professional coach or this coach or this coach, all trying to throw you different ideas and different techniques that they they want you to play like. Um, and I think at times it was either I was too open and just took it all in and changed, changed grips, changed my stance, squared off, whatever. And then it was, wasn't probably until I went, okay, this is how I want to play. What are my strengths? What's going to make me score the most runs I can? And I look back and it's actually probably what I was doing when I was 16, 17, actually. But then being able to adapt those strengths that I can negate the weaknesses and use those strengths to score runs. The whole time on my elbows, okay, what's going to make me the best player I can And then how do I, all the other stuff that gets me out, how do I just almost cover that so that I can play to my strengths again? I think that was a that's it was a long process of of re- that was over probably the course of those five years, um, and yeah, all sorts of coaches thrown and and it's I think it's part of professional sport is that um, you do get all sorts of ideas thrown whether it's coach or when you get to higher levels whether it's the media doing the same thing. I think you need to be stubborn in some ways to be able to stick to what you know and works, but at the same time be adaptable so that you can keep improving. Yeah. And so very, very profound advice and, and yeah, I think great advice for everyone. And, and like you say, at 16, 17, the better you get, the more eyes you have on you, the more people that want to help and get involved. So it's about listening and trying to take in the information and work out if it makes sense, maybe trying it. If it doesn't work for you, then and sort of sticking to what works. Let's go back to that period then. Tell, talk us through how your performances were and um, how it was where you were so close and then it still took a while to, to really break into the New Zealand team. Yeah, like it wasn't a train wreck by any means. You know, I still um, found ways to, but I definitely, so I had a good start and then teams started bowling spins to me early, um, which again, growing up in Perth, uh, at high school anyway, you don't, you don't, you get, you get the bounce where you can stay on top of it and just, and sit back and, and do what you're doing. Suddenly I had Jink Patel going, fizzing it, like bowling quick and skidding it through. And I was like, oh, okay. I was a little bit out of my depth and it, it probably took me a good, um, two-year period to actually adjust my setup to allow me to be able to access my ones better for that. Um, and then... Can, we go, sort can of, we go into... Sorry to cut you off again, but let's go yep. into what, what was the adjustment? What did you have to change? Um, so for me, batting's all about being as still as possible. Um, and I, like, I'm lucky I've got quite a high pickup. So I think that's one of my strengths. So I want to make sure I keep using that. But as soon as I started facing spin, as opposed to reacting to fast to pace, which I do... I started to preempt spin and start moving and going at it, and then I'd get stuck, and I'd have to use my hands, which against good spin bowlers you can't. If you get stuck on the crease, you, you're buggered. So for me, it was finding a way so that at the point of release, I'm as still as possible, but then able to move whether it's forward or back quick, and then be able to access through the ball. Um, and it was just a lot of tinkering, trying to find ways so that 
yeah, at the point of release, I'm nice and still and able to move and not be stuck on the crease. And it sounds simple, but um, yeah, definitely took a, a lot of tinkering and ways to figure out. And yeah, now obviously very, uh, I feel like I'm comfortable within my spin game that, um, yeah, and it's it's obviously helped um, to start my innings and, and yeah, and get going. And so in that period, I'm assuming you're in your early 20s, you're in your sort of second, third, fourth season, you're, you're sort of, You've got coaches, you've got Noddy who's in Perth, I'm sure you're talking to a lot, but uh, there's a phrase that I love that you've got to own your own development. Was it just something that you said, look, I'm just not good enough against spin. I've got to take it into my hands. I've got to get the ND coaches to really just bowl, like throw lots of spinners to me. I've got to face the spinners whenever I can. I've got to formulate my plan and tinker and change. Was it Was it all on you or was it someone said to you, let's let's go away and work? Uh, I, th- I think it has to be on you because if for me, I like again, been a uh, slightly stubborn character at times if someone tells me to do something I'm almost like nah I'm not doing that like I've got this and so it's probably me recognizing okay if I like I, I'm averaging 30 in first class cricket yeah that's good but if I want to play for New Zealand if I want to if I want to win games for um at the time northern districts that that's not going to cut it like I need to find ways so that guys buying pace I can do my thing guys buying spin I can do my thing and it's not it's not halting a team's innings. So um, for me, that was like, all right, it's time to get better. I've got to, hey, you watch guys, you watch a lot of footage of guys and see how they do things. And obviously talking with Nod and, and a few other guys, um, yeah, you just come up with your own way that it suits your setup and what are your strengths as a player. Um, I didn't try and copy a, sp- a specific type of player because there's, yeah, there's only one Daryl Mitchell, or there's actually another one who plays county cricket in England. Yeah. But uh, it's a different story. But there's only one, yeah, so I just wanted to make sure that the setup allowed me to keep my strengths as a player. I think that's the main thing. Yeah, and what I find interesting, which is a really great learning for the younger players watching or listening to this, is how you said you tinkered and you changed your setup to be able to access your ones more easily. You didn't say, oh, I wanted to be able to sweep and hit boundaries and hit spinners out of the attack. So was it, was it a focus of how do I get off strike to spin a bit better? Yeah, and I think it's it's probably not, overthinking it too much like we've all been there as a batter when you walk out and suddenly they, they've got a mid wicket in and, and covers coming tighter and maybe long on's back but mid off's up and you're like right well, I can't just slog one to get going here I've got to as soon as you start thinking about too much then you start punt, jabbing at the ball and it gets harder so it's almost like do the work so that then you're confident and you can just walk out and be like right I know if you bowls here I'm doing this if you bowls here I'm going to reverse sweep get a field get mid wicket across the two points or just it's owning it's knowing what your strengths are and then backing your skills so that you can do that on a regular and then next thing you know, it just becomes normal like someone's throwing you a throw down. If that, if, yeah. yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. So it's just putting in the work and then trusting that you've done the work and, and, and trusting your sort of decision-making and your subconscious a bit without overthinking, okay, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. I think that constantly, like even now, at, at, or 29 still, uh, that um, you're constantly evolving. Like I, you're even... Today, you're just playing with things, working out, um, yeah, how can I get the fields that I want to, to make the game easier? Um, I'm at the stage now where I, I don't think a lot of technical stuff. Um, it's more uh, making sure I've got a couple of key checklists that I keep making sure works for me, but it's just about yeah, trying to find ways to compete against that bowler and, and try and score runs to help, help us win games of cricket. And on that note of trying to get the fields that I want, 
an expression I use is managing risk. So are you like potentially taking a higher risk early to try like a reverse sweep, let's say that's higher risk than just patting the ball down the wicket. Are you sort of maybe taking that risk to get the, that, like you said, mid wicket across? Are you sort of managing risk and maybe taking higher risk early so that you can play it on your own terms? Yeah, I think you're, obviously, you're always adapting to the game situation as well. And um, especially T20 cricket, you know, it, you're allowed to take more higher risks because there's only 120 balls for the whole team. So, um, yeah, for me, it's trying to get uh, a field that I feel comfortable and easy with to allow me to take better options for longer. And if that means having to uh, run down and, and chip one over with mid off and mid on up at some point to try and get a long on back or whether it's, yeah, a scoop or a reverse or whatever to allow an easier one to keep, be able to keep rotating, then, yeah, it's something that you're constantly weighing up throughout the innings because yeah it, what you what you score as an individual doesn't really matter it's about trying to do whatever's best to help the team get to where we need to be to help win games of cricket and I think the the quicker you learn that as a batsman the actually more success you'll have individually so yeah if it means trying to hoy one over cow to get cow back then yeah we'll go for it yeah nice and while we're on it again, um, what are the few technical checklist points that you sort of try and focus on in your setup and your, your game? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm reasonably tall at 6'3", so uh, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm covering my straight lines um, nicely, not falling over um, and getting my shin blown off. So, uh, yeah, that's something that... Mate, I know how that's, sure that that's been my whole <laughs> yeah, <I think> we're, <laughs> We've all been there. So, yeah, that's one thing, making sure, especially red ball cricket, making sure I'm covering that straight line nicely. And um, for me, my, I know my backlift's a massive part of my game, so making sure that I am picking it up nice and high and, I think that helps me and, you know, people talk about engaging top shot, all that sort of stuff. But for me, it's, if I pick my hands up nice and high and, and take my head to, where, to where, wherever the ball is, um, then I'm going to be in pretty good position. So, yeah, there's obviously a few little things I just keep making sure I do, especially when you're playing every third, fourth day. Um, you don't get a lot of time to actually train uh, volume. So it's just making sure that you're in a space where you get, yeah, okay, I've ticked off these things. I know I'm in a good place to, to walk out and, and compete the next day. And do you do that, let's say it's a training day, the day before a game, or it's the morning of the game. Do you do that with underarms, with sidearm, facing bowlers, bowling machine? How do you tick off those things to get in a good space? Yeah, I'm not, um, I don't hit a lot. I don't hit a lot of balls. I think when I was younger, I did to try and learn these things. We now I feel like I'm at the stage where I can, I still, I still love batting and, and doing it, but it's just making sure that, uh, I, yeah, I take these off. I think you can't be too structured with how you prepare because if you show up to ground, one ground might have good nets. One ground might just have a net up in the outfield. You know, so I think it's, yeah, throws, flinger, I'm happy to do whatever, but it's just making sure that those movements and the feel are in the right place. I might hit 10 balls and be happy or I might hit for an hour and a half or the day before. It just, it, it, it literally just depends on, Yep, am I in a good am I a good space mentally? Um, am I ticking off these little technical things which make sure that I'm good to go? And then, yeah, at the end of the day, how you hit them the day before doesn't matter on the day. So, yeah, um, yeah just keep. Let's take a break from Daryl for a minute and go back to our last episode with Sean Marsh. Starting with your your hundred on Testabu against Sri Lanka in 2011. Um, what are your memories of that day? Sorry, mate. Um, yeah, look, um, amazing memories. Um, you know, from a young age, all I ever wanted to do was play Test cricket for Australia. So um, to get on a Test tour in the first place was, 
yeah, amazing. Um, you know, I missed out uh, playing in that first test in Sri Lanka. Uh, and then I think uh, Ricky Ponting went home for the birth of his um, second or third child. So the, obviously an opportunity uh, was going to come up. And, uh, you know, luckily for me, it was um, me coming into that test team. And um, I remember uh, Dad coming over, a few of my close mates coming over. Um, and, um, you know, Dad presenting my cap to me was uh, still one of the greatest things ever. Um, I still can't really, really remember what he said to me. It was pretty emotional and um, it had a lot of things going through in my head. So um, I guess to come out and score 100 in my first test innings was an amazing feeling. Um, you know, it was like a, like I said, a dream to, to, to get that baggy green, but to, to get 100 in my first game was special. Now let's get back to Daryl. Yeah, and I think it's a really important point to make that you've earned the right through all the work you've done previously, you've earned the right to not hit so many balls. I think when you're 16, 17, 18, you can't just say, well, Daryl Mitchell does it and A.B. Nah. De Villiers only hits 10 underarms, so that's what I'm going to do. But I promise you, A.B. De Villiers at 37, 38, whatever he is, and you at 30, you've, you've put in the work. Yeah. 29, sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah, You've put in the work that allows you to now just have a hit of 10 balls or whatever if you're feeling good. Yeah, I think, and it's again, it's different for everyone. Like I watch uh, Kane Williamson or Tom Layton prepare, and, and those guys are really structured with how they prepare and how they go about um, pre- uh, yeah, preparing for games because that works for them. Um, and again, I'm not Kane, I'm not Tom. I don't, I don't prepare like that because I know that my personality is... I want to, to get things done and, and make sure I'm clear. Um, yeah, and maybe that's why they're way better players than me. But, um, yeah, the way that they prepare is not the same as me. And I don't think you should try and copy people. Yes, you can learn off them and, and try things, but you need to work out what works for you to help you get ready for game time. Yeah, absolutely. Another very, very important point. Now, what was it that then that, that happened that got you selected in to, for New Zealand? Your first your sort of first outing for New Zealand was in T20 cricket a couple of years ago, 2019. <laughs> How did that come about? Were you, were you dominating um, state cricket? And and what sort of was the, the moment that you, you broke in? Yeah, I guess I knocked on the door for a little while. I, I, when I originally started, I was probably more a batsman. And um, personally, I always wanted to bowl and, and be an all-rounder and um, yeah, I guess that opportunity probably came about within my, my state side. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, to be able to, to bowl and it, I really enjoyed bowling the death overs for Northern districts. And I think that probably helped, um, me get a spot within the, the New Zealand side is that you know, I could bat in that middle order, top to middle order and, and be able to bowl from one to 20th over. Um, and so that was something that, yeah, really pushed for. And, um, yeah, I, I think a big learning for me is from that six-year period was when you get a taste of New Zealand Day, you think you're close. I probably wasn't realistically, but um, you start getting obsessed with, right, I need to do this. I need to average this. I need to score these. You know, I need to be in the top five scorers of Plunkett Shield, whatever. <clears throat> and you almost get obsessed with doing well and, and you, fear fa- you fear failure. So you get out and then you beat yourself up and it starts to get hold of you. Where I think now in the last four or five years, it's been, all right, I'm going to do whatever's best for the team. I know that my personality suits, I'm, I'm going to be as competitive as I can, whether it's with that, with ball. And that's not by saying it just means that I want to win situations for my team as much as I can. Um, and then if if that happens, 
yeah, I'm probably going to get 50. I'm probably going to get some milestones along the way. But A, my team's going to win. And um, yeah, we won the we won the Super Smash that year, and then you, uh, which is our T20 comp over here. And the next thing, Tim Seifert, myself, Scott Kugelheim, we're all in the T20 team from that winning mm. a Super Smash. And I think that was a big realization. But again, just keep trying to win games of cricket for your team. Don't worry about your own personal milestones. That stuff will take care of itself. And um, yeah, it's something that I keep sort of trying to drive now is, yeah, just be as competitive as I can and, and win those small moments in games. Yeah, well, those small mo- moments that actually are the big important moments, are, and if you win them more often than not, you're going to be the one that the, the selectors above want in the in the team, and, and for you, it's the New Zealand team. So when you say in the last four or five years you, you made a mindset shift, was that just maturity? Was that just sort of speaking to a few other people and and just you got a bit older, you realised, okay, I can't focus on my stats and my, my individual performances, which is going to get me into it. I just need to focus here. Was that something that just came with maturity? Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a number of things. Obviously, maturity. Um, and Yeah, and just and seeing how people that you idolise, like for me, BJ Watling within Northern Districts, he's, he's at a, obviously probably the, I, I would say the test, best test keeper going around at the moment in the world um, and just watching how he goes about his his work and he sort of epitomises what we want to be in terms of uh, the humbleness and just yeah, team first over here with the, with New Zealand and so you sort of watch the guys like him Tim Saudi um, and Kane at the time um, and it's just like okay actually those, yeah those, that's how those guys go about their cricket it's like actually I I know I can be like that and I, and that's who I am as a person, but I want to bring my own flavour and be competitive and, and do that. But at the same time, yeah, just literally try and win games of cricket for your, your team and, and and do well. And, yeah, um, I guess when you get married and have kids, you do realise it's more important things than cricket itself. And, yeah, just put the, put everything into perspective and, yeah, just have fun. Yeah, and, and what I think is awesome um, <clears throat> that I've picked up is that you're your own. You're your own unique person. You're going about it your own way. But you can, mod, rather than modelling the technique or the game plan of a Kane Williamson or a Tom Latham, as you referred to earlier, you can sort of model their behaviours and how they go about it, and that, but still be yourself. And that's what it sounds like you started to do. Is you started to model. Okay, this is how they're going about it. These are their behaviours. They're putting the team first. I'm going to follow their lead, and that's when you start to play your best cricket. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I, I guess, and I think it's not a, it's a, it just subconsciously sort of happens when you're around those world class players, uh, day in day out, um, and yeah, obviously very lucky to be a part of that of that group, and um, hopefully I can yeah pass on some of those things to younger guys coming through in the future. Yeah, awesome. Now going back to what you said a few moments ago about you wanted to be the death bowler. Um, you, you were playing in a Perth here as a as an all rounder. You went to NDs, broken as a batter. Throughout that period, um, were you always practicing your bowling? When did you decide you wanted to be a death bowler? Was it something that you you've always been good at, or did you say I'm going to be a death bowler? You then had a bit of time to go away and work on your skills, work on your changes of pace, and your yorkers, etc. How did you become such a good death bowler? Yeah, I guess I I always bowled in the nets, but I probably didn't realise at the time how much work I need to put into my bowling to be able to do it day in, day out. You know, you sort of grab the ball and you run in and you might get three or four overs in a first class game and might pick up one or two wickets and how he's, how good's this? But to be able to, um, yeah, it was, I, it was pretty much speaking to the coaches and, and the, the leaders at the time saying, look, I want to bowl. I was lucky Dean Brownlee, who you'd know from 
on birthdays. He was the captain of ND in the T20s. I said to him, I really want to bowl some death stuff. He was like, okay, I'll give you a crack, but you've got to, you've got to back up what you're doing. So I need to pr- make sure I practice more and, and put a lot more time into my bowling. And it meant I need to get a lot fitter um, and a lot stronger. Um, and so, yeah. And then luckily enough that he sort of helped me uh, those first few games and, and it just yeah, grew in confidence and you yeah, discover again, what works for you. I'm not quick. I'm not uh, 140. I'm 130 at best, but um, yeah, trying to find ways to, to make it work for me and, um, yeah, again, go back to winning each ball, each little moment in T20 cricket's massive. So, um, yeah, that's sort of the way I go about with bowling. And, yeah, it's a bit bit more uh, – for me, batting's the business time and bowling's the fun. So it's it's good fun. Yeah, nice. And, again, it, it just wasn't easy. It wasn't just straightforward. You had to get fitter, get stronger, work on, harder to be the player you are today. And I think that that's all ha- – that, all that happens behind sort of closed doors without pe- – not in the spotlight and – People see you scoring 100 in an, in an ODR, 100 in a test match, and a lot of the time people don't realise all the hard work that you've put in. So, again, well done. No, it's, yeah, to be honest with you, the training bit's the fun part. Um, you know, like, yes, you, you obviously milestones are cool and, and it's it's awesome to, you, at the time when you're playing, you don't really think about it, but probably looking back when I'm 40 or 50, I'll be like, oh, yeah, this, you know, that, those those hundreds are cool, but uh, try not to work each day with your mates and, and, and trying to uh, work your butt off and, and just be the best player you can be. That's actually, at the time, that's that's the fun stuff. That's that's why you do this day in, day out, I reckon. Yeah. And if you don't enjoy it, then you're probably not in the right profession. You probably shouldn't be doing it. But, yeah, you're very lucky to be able to do something you love and, and try and get better every day. Um, going back to your, your on-field stuff now, you made your debut in T20s in February 2019. You then debuted in Test Cricket later that year in November slash December. You scored 73 on your test debut against England. Going into that match, were you full of confidence and thought, okay, this is where I belong, I'm going to show everyone how good I am? Or were there some doubts saying, oh, shit, test cricket, the ball might move a bit, England, good team, (coughs) am I going to be good enough? What was your mindset going into that match? Yeah, I guess I think for a lot of people when they make the test debut, it actually all happens very quickly because uh, for me, I came, Colin de Grandhomme, he got injured. Uh, the game before, and it was, I think it was about three days between tests, and I was about to go play a one-day game um, at the state level, and um, yeah, got the call come up to Hamilton, which is where I, where I grew up. Um, uh, there's a you're in the test squad. And I was like, okay, quick, you know, pack your bags, and it all happens very quickly. So um, yeah, that whole week was a bit of a blur. Um, it was it was pretty it was really cool to make it in Hamilton, where I was sort of I'd grown up as a kid on the bank watching games and. And to have my family and grandparents and stuff in the stand was really cool. Um, but yeah, for me, it was, I was at the stage where I probably didn't know if it was ever going to happen, if I was ever going to play for New Zealand. And so it was sort of like, I'm just going to have as much fun as I can out there and, and compete and, and whatever will be, will be in many ways. I know I've done, done the work to that point to get me to the stage. And yeah, if, if I score some runs and, and stick to, what I do best then yeah, hopefully I'll have some success and, and do well from there. And yeah, I, I tried to not make it bigger than what it was. Um, obviously that we're really lucky the night before you do your cat presentation. So then the day of the game is just, it's just another game of cricket as much as you try and make it. And obviously when you cross the rope and you do the national level, that's yeah, your heart's pumping, but I made a real conscious effort to, to just, yeah, it's just another game and just try and be as calm and, and as, 
as normal as possible. And I think that really helped um, you get through those those five days as quick as they went. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And then 102 not out in your your last test match, I think, um, about a year ago against Pakistan. Talk us through that. Um, that must have been a, a pretty special moment. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, to, like I, I've moved down to Christchurch just under a year ago now. That's play for Canterbury, and, and my wife being from here, that was a pretty big move at the time. Um, and yeah, to score my first Test hundred on my new home ground, um, yeah, it was yeah, it was pretty special. Um, I think it was a the lights had just come up at Hagley, and so they were on, and um, yeah, to to score a hundred out there was yeah, again. Um, yeah, something I look back on in time and, and it'll be pretty cool. But, um, yeah, at the time it was just literally just trying to yeah, do a job for the team and, and put us in a position to um, yeah, get a decent score. And I was lucky that Kane didn't declare on me because he, um, he sent me out for a, to have some fun for the last few overs. So, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was a pretty special moment. Awesome. And now having, played, having had a taste of test cricket, four tests, um, playing 80 first-class games, having played... Um, great cricket here in Australia. What do you think is the biggest difference when you step up the level, or what is it that what separates Test cricket from first-class cricket in New Zealand? Yeah, look, I've, I've had a taste, and, and I, I hope to have a lot more. And I'm sure there'll be some challenges along the way that I'm going to have to keep adapting with with international cricket. Um, but I think it's everyone's just more consistent when you go from 19s to grey cricket, where you go from grey cricket to first-class cricket. It's just Everything is more consistent. They're not. It's not that much quicker. It's not that much. You know, it's it's probably the for as a batter, the bowlers don't miss as much. So you've got to trust your defence more. You've got to be sound in your game, and and probably the outside pressures of of media and and all that as well. Um, is that that's probably the hardest part. The higher up you go, but um, yeah, for me, it's just keep backing your skills, keep trusting your own game, and. And there will be times when you'll, you'll fail and you'll have to work out ways to combat because as you're trying to get better, they're trying to get better as well. So it's, it's about working out what they're trying to do to you and, and adapting as you go. Um, but, yeah, it's it, test cricket's the ultimate. And, um, yeah, obviously different conditions challenge you, but it's just they're a lot more consistent. They don't miss as much. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, And it's just still a game. It's still a contest, whether you're playing grade cricket. I spoke to Sean Marsh on this podcast a few weeks ago. It's, whether you're playing grade cricket or whether you're playing for Australia or for New Zealand, it's still the same contest, bat versus ball. So it does the actual contest doesn't change. It's the it's the sort of environment, what colours you're wearing, what helmet you're wearing, etc. That's what changes, but the contest stays the same. Yeah, I think that's the cool thing about the game that we play is that you can you can walk out and be Don Bradman. You still can nick off a first ball uh, whether you're playing club cricket or international cricket. Um, and so that's why yeah, it's it's the game that. I think simulates life as much as, as the, you know, you, you have good days, you have bad days and you can't let it affect who you are as a person. But um, yeah, I think it's just, it's such a cool game and it challenges you in so many different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Now you've already shared so many amazing insights about your game and, and how you go about it, but let's go a little bit deeper into your mindset now. So something that fascinates me is, is what the best players think about in the contest, in the moment. So as the bowler's running in and in the moments before the bowler turns and, and after the ball's been sort of completed, what is your post-ball and, and pre-ball and in-between ball? What does what your routines look like? Do you have any mantras or saying? What do you try and focus on? Yeah, it's, um, I think, how do I put it? 
I've definitely got routines that I, I stick to. Um, it's something that has evolved throughout my career to almost simplify it more and more so that it's able to be repeated over and over again. So, like, as the ball, ball is running in, literally, it's watch the ball, be still, and then relax. That's, that's the three words, the three things that I say to myself. Um, and that's all just to literally make sure that um, I'm as still as possible at the point of release of the bowler and I'm just watching the ball. Um, that's the that's the two main things because I know I've done all the work um, and 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 then it's just a down to your skills that you you yeah watch the ball and, and do what you do. Um, and is relax about the, is relax about sort of trying to relax your body? Is it trying to like relax your mind and take a deep breath, or what's the relax part? Yeah, it's sort of everything. So I'm sitting there like watch the ball, relax, be still, and it's just about being yeah as as still and as calm as possible because I think as soon as you get up tight and tense. That's when you you get become a bit rigid and um, you don't allow your body to do the skills that it, it's practiced over and over again. Um, so that's that's my main little thing um, at, at the as the bowler's sort of top of his mark or or whatever. Um, and then I literally yeah I I can't sit still like I'm I'm always on the mo- like I'm yeah a little bit ADD sort of child at times. So for me to be able to walk away or sing a song or something um, and I find that allows me to then when I go back to the crease to mark mark off stump or wherever I'm batting on um, and then do that again. It just allows me to sort of refresh and then I come back and do it again. And, yeah, there's times where you get yourself out and you're like, damn it, I should, I didn't do it. Or yeah, I think that's more important to recognise that than the technical flaw at times that you made. So, um, yeah, it's something that's constantly evolving, but, it's, yeah, something that's I've done pretty routinely throughout my career. And do you, how are you as a reflector? Do you sort of reflect quickly and move on? Or do you sort of think, oh, it was a bit out of position there, probably not the right shot on this wicket, or they've changed cover, I've got to make sure I'm watching my drive like closely. Are you trying to reflect and think a lot, or are you trying to just trust your subconscious and let it sort of flow? Um, I think it varies. So, I, like, in between balls, you sort of, you're trying to work out, oh, actually, what, was it, what, are they, what are they trying to set me up for? In many ways, this is more probably Red Bull cricket we're talking, uh, the longer stuff. What are they trying to set me up? What are they trying to do? And then it's just, right, okay, say if they're hanging it outside, they're trying to make me play a four-shot, right, well, make sure I'm nice and strong on the straight lines and don't get, you know, like, so then when I go to walk in to face the next ball, I'm clear and I'm not thinking about that stuff. That's all in the back of my mind that's gone. And then now it's, right, watch the ball, relax, be still. So I'm going to watch the ball again and do the trust that my skills will take over. Um, but yeah, there's times definitely where you carry into that ball a thought and then you don't watch the ball and then next thing you know, you've nicked it off and you're like, oh, I knew, I knew that was like, you look back, but that's, that's the wonderful game that we play that you make a mistake, you're gone. So you got to, um, yeah, keep finding ways to make sure you stay in that moment. Yeah. And now in, you're starting your innings. Let's go to Red Bull. Um, we're going to talk in a minute about transitioning between the points, but Red Bull, What's your plan? What's your starter routine? Are you just sort of looking for your one or two best shots? Are you looking to sort of just get through 10 balls? What are you doing, Red Bull cricket? Um, I've, yeah, I've definitely, you know, again, it goes back to I know my strengths. I know what works for me as a batsman, and, and I'm probably going to play to those strengths. Um, I'm not going to give all my secrets away because I don't want anyone who's listening to try and get me out with it. But, um, yeah, I'm not going to um, – I'm going to stay within what works for me um, – and, and and keep doing that over and over again. I think the ability to be in the moment in Red Bull cricket and be able to repeat that process and stick to your strengths over and over again, keep doing that, um, 
is going to give me the most success um, in, in the longer formats. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not trying to, I'm not obsessed with, you know, I don't know, strike rates or what, like, or I need to get one off my hip to get going or anything like that. It's just like, relax, be still, trust my skills and stick stick to what I, is, makes me the player I am, I guess. Yeah, nice, nice. Now, I think you've, you've sort of already answered this for now um, with the, sort of the perspective and coming home and your daughter's having a smile on your face regardless of how well you do. But let's go back to when you're a bit younger, maybe in your early 20s or as a teenager. How did you overcome a bad net session or a bad match? This is something that holds a lot of people back. They sort of, I, I think it comes back to they value themselves as a person based on how well they're doing at cricket. And if they have a bad net or a bad match, they sometimes think, oh, I'm a bad player, which means I'm a bad person. A lot of this is subconscious, but so mm. they sort of have a bad net or a bad match and they, they get really down on themselves. They dwell, they get upset, and it leads into a, a period of, of not performing at their best. So when you were younger, what were you like with this? Yeah, I was probably the same as every other person. You, you beat yourself up. Um, I think when you want to do so well, it almost gets worse, if that makes sense. Like if you try so hard and you have a bad net, you're like, oh, it's not working, as, as opposed to... I think it comes with experience and age, but hopefully if kids can learn this earlier is that, again, how you train doesn't mean you're not going to do well the next day in the game. Like I've had nets where I've hit them horrendously the day before, but then you go out and score runs the next day and then you could hit them amazing the day before and not score a bean. So it's, I think how you, it's not judging yourself as much as you can. Um, it's about just trying to, yeah, again, each day you're trying to get better so that, when you get into game day, you can just compete. And whether that means you're chunking them and scoring fours, suddenly you're on 40 by scoring five fours through third slip. Cause I know it's like, it doesn't matter how you hit them at times. It's just about trying to win that moment and get your team into a good position, whether it's with bat or ball. Um, and I, th- I think the quicker I learned that, um, the better, don't get me wrong. You still want to hit, you want to feel good and you want to hit them nicely and keep striving to be better, but don't beat yourself up beat yourself up if, if that's not happening on that day. Sometimes it's good just to walk out of the net and go, I'll have another hit tomorrow and, and not think about it because um, otherwise you can beat yourself up and not get any sleep. So, yeah, I think it's just learning that across, um, yeah, as you progress as a player and as a person. Yeah, and I, I've heard many players, I think Buck um, Rogers, who's a good friend of mine, and even JL talk about when they're hitting them really well, they get a bit worried because then they get a bit overconfident and don't play at their best. It's when they're they're playing okay, but they're not quite hitting them as well as they'd like. That's when they're forced to concentrate a bit harder, and that's when they don't expand out of their bubble. So that's when they actually score the most runs. And there's a, there's a saying that every sort of cricketer's probably heard, but it's about finding a way on the day, isn't it? Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think, yeah, we don't put – we put within the game, especially batting, we put a lot on technical stuff. And it's actually now actually what's going to help you compete on the day is half or well, 90% of it's up there and, and just completely being in that moment. Um, so yeah, I 100% agree with, with those statements by those two batters, uh, two, so yeah, amazing cricket players. And yeah, they, they definitely understood batting. So they know how it works. Yeah. Now, talking about transitioning between formats, um, this day and age, kids are playing lots of T20 cricket. Um, probably less two-day cricket here in Australia than they, they were in the past, but one-day cricket in there as well. How do you personally adjust between the formats? Now, this is a three-part question. Technically, do you change anything? Steve Smith has spoken on some videos and masterclasses about 
So he has a closed bat face in, in four-day cricket or test cricket, and then he opens his bat face. He wants to slice the ball um, more in white ball cricket. Do you change anything technically? No, nah, not a lot because uh, for me it's about trying to keep a lot of things as as the same as possible um, so that uh, cricket's hard enough for me with a ball that swings, it seems, it bounces different heights. I don't really want to have three different grips and different techniques um, that will, yeah, uh, change how I go about things. So um, it's not a lot. I mean, there are subtle, subtle things like obviously white ball when you're trying to launch it, you probably do naturally give it the bottom hand a bit more and, and, and red ball, you want to be able to release your hands so that you can play through um, the offside and access that and play the ball later. Um, but um, yeah, technically it's not a massive, massive shift for me. I, yeah, the game's hard enough. I don't want to keep chopping and changing things every yeah. second week. That's just and I think Smith is a, he's a, um, exception to the rule. I think most people and everyone I've spoken to don't change much. Like you say, you might set up slightly differently you might go more towards like what Maxwell's doing now, really open and whatever in T20, but generally it's not yeah. a huge change. Smith is a bit think, of a... I think the thing for me, though, is that I I will say if I'm going to T20, I'll do a lot more range hitting because I know that where I'm at, I'm probably going to get balls in this area and I need to make sure I've got a nice long, a nice long uh, swing plane through the ball um, where red ball, you want to stay on top of the ball and be able to play it later. So it's probably more how you how guys are going to bowl to you and, and what how you want to play is probably more how I've changed my preparation. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Now, tactically, um, how do you shift up and down the gears for your <coughs> sort of with your plans, depending on the format? Obviously, red ball, um, you're going to give yourself a bit more time. There's a lot more time and you can sort of ex- absorb good spells of bowling, whereas T20 cricket... Um, you've got to take the game on a bit more, which we've already sort of spoken about. And then that leads into the third part. In T20 cricket, so into your mindset, in T20 cricket, everything happens so quickly. You've got to make decisions quite quickly. You've got to understand the situation of the game quite quickly compared to a four-day game where things are a lot slower and you don't have to think as quickly. So how do you speed up your thinking in T20 cricket? Um, Yeah, so the first part, yeah, I guess, how do I put it? Oh, actually, I'll go straight to T Twenty cricket. For me, it's about trying to make the game as slow as possible. So yes, it's it's uh, it's fast. It's um, everything happens so quickly. You know, you've got 120 balls to maximise every, every single run, as we've seen with super overs in the last few years. Every single run definitely means something. So um, for me, it's trying to make sure I'm really clear with how I want to go about things. Um, slow things down to my to my own pace, um, so that how do you, how do you slow things down? Um, so a lot of it's just sort of breathing and 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 approaching the crease when you're ready. Um, you know, we see a lot of spinners these days trying to rush through uh, overs through the middle, um, especially when I sort of come in in that middle middle period. So it's about making sure um, you're as yeah you're going about it your own pace. So, I mean, if you watch Ross Taylor, for example, walk out to bat in a test match or whatever, watch how long he takes to face his first ball. He does it at his own pace so that he's nice and calm. He's ready. You know, it's 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 actually quite. It's amazing how he how he goes about it. Um, so he kicks the crease and, and just you watch how that. Yeah. So that's his way of slowing things down. Mine might be I might do my gloves, walk away, come back. I'll let Leah, little things just to try and make sure that as soon as I'm ready, let we're on. Let's do this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then so going back to the sort of the original question, how do you transition your, your tactics and your, your, your so slowing down yeah. your mind in that, but tactically, what do you do? 
yeah, I think uh, Red Bull cricket is it's just all about winning moments. Um, the more you the more you play, you realise you can you can understand certain situations when they bring a strike bowler back on. So right, I need to get through this five over spell here. A because yeah, it's going to help me score more runs, but then it's going to help my team. So that means that we can bat for longer periods of time. Um, they might bring on a, a seamer who or a spinner, whoever is a better matchup for me personally. It's like right, well, this is my chance to put some pressure back on their bowling attack and and try and um, yeah generate generate us some runs really. So I think it's just constantly reading the situation within the game and understanding, hey, what's the opposition trying to do to me here and us as a team? Um, and then trying to combat it and puff your chest out and say, bring it on. I think that's how I sort of try and read the situations within within the longer format. Um, and yeah, there's times where you've got to suck it up and, and take a few balls on the body and, and leave a few, but then you get that reward later on and you can, you can bang a few out of the park. So yeah, it's just working out when to do it. And so you you being a middle order player and all rounder and quite an aggressive player, regardless of the format, do you take is is it about just taking a few more risks in T20? Uh, Sean Marsh, as I've already mentioned, he talks about he has a pretty similar game plan, whether it's T20 cricket or four day cricket. He just tries to give himself a bit of time early, take low risk, and then he can expand and catch up later in the T20 format. What are you like with that sort of stuff? Um, I think it's being batting in the middle order. You've got to be able to bat different ways for different situations. Um, so I'm not, I, I don't have a set plan like come in and give myself this balls to go. Yeah, it's, it's sort of, it's like when I'm, you watch the game when you're next into bat and you probably start to realise, oh, this is the situation we're in, whether it be red ball or white ball or whatever. Um, and it's like, right, what do I need to do here that's going to help us effectively get in a good position and win games? So sometimes it might mean I have to come out and, and go from ball one if I'm batting at seven, six, five, six, seven in the T20. Um, the other times I might come in the eighth over and we've got to soak up a couple of overs to make sure that um, we can still access our death period with five, eight, four, five, six overs to go, if you know what I mean. So I think it's being able to be adaptable that your game and whatever situation you can, I can still play within my strengths to help us do well. But, and yeah, I guess the principles of how I'm going to play is not going to change, yeah. but it's when I'm taking risks, when, when is it smart to get the other guy on strike because it's a better matchup for him or, so, you know, that, those sort of things you're constantly thinking about. Yeah, nice, nice. Great insight. Now, moving into your sort of preparation again, being a genuine all-rounder, how do you ensure that you're as best prepared as you can be so that when you walk out to bat, you feel ready and then you, when you get the ball and you're at the top of the mark, you feel ready? Do you have to train longer or harder than someone who's just a batter or just a bowler? How do you ensure you get, you're ticking the boxes for both skills plus your fielding? I think I, uh, one, yeah, what I've learned the last little bit is I've got to be really smart with my time management. Um, so, you know, you've like a lot of the places you go to, you've got maybe two and a half hour window, three hour window of training. Um, that's the net side of things or add plus fielding. So I know right, I've got to, I've got to tick off the things I want to do for batting, which is going to, A, not only get me ready for the next game, but keep helping me get better as a player. Um, you've obviously got bowling loads, which you've got to make sure you do from an injury prevention point of view, but at the same time, you've got a certain amount that you want to make sure you, you're ticking off, again, the skills that you want to do um, to get better and be ready for the game. So just being really smart with how you you plan out your trainings um, and, yeah, not not doing too much, but not doing too little as well. And I think that, it's a constant battle as an all-rounder that you keep trying to tinker with. Um, 
And then obviously the fitness side of things, I personally had to get a lot fitter and a lot stronger to be able to handle the load of batting and bowling because, you know, the perfect all-rounders game is score 100 and and bowl 20 overs or, yeah, like you've got to be able to do both. You can't just do one job and then be like, nah, I don't want to do that side. So it's, yeah, making sure you're as fit as possible to be able to do that um, every, every game, 52 weeks of the year. Yeah, nice, nice. Now, you've mentioned a few times the word tinkering and you've spoken a lot about trying to get better. I don't know if you saw, but um, Marnus Labashain did a, a really cool, a, a really fascinating masterclass on one of the mornings of the Sheffield Shield final. And in yeah, that, said, yeah. So, yeah. So, in that, he talks about, just for those that haven't seen it, he talks about how during the Australian Test Series, he felt like his grip was a little bit under... And he was then, instead of hitting balls straight back down the ground, he was sort of clunking them into the leg side of it. He got caught there a few times. So to give some context, he's the world number three ranked bat test batter. He scored the most runs in that, that test series. He then finished the test series and he came back and played shield cricket. But during that shield final, he, they were showing highlights of his beautiful straight drives. And he was giving the insight into that he'd been working on his grip. He'd tinkered and he'd changed his grip so that he could hit straighter. Are you someone that tries to tinker all the time and tries to figure things out and problem solve and work on little things that make you better or like you've spoken about how you were stubborn when you were younger are you more like okay this is my way and in the off season that's when I can really go deeper into technique and stuff um no I think I think I'm a bit of both is the way I put it like obviously got the way I want to play um and the that's probably the stubborn side of me but which I think you need but at the same time teams are going to bowl at you differently um so like I, I don't know man especially but if teams are trying to pepper him straighter and he felt like he's you know it's like well he's recognized what what they're trying to do to him and so now he's got to adapt his game to be able to score runs and and do that and then i think it's something that if you want to be the best player you can be you've got to keep adapting you can't just say this is how i play this is what i do and that's the end of it because you might score 100 that week but then teams will stop bowling a certain way to you. So you've got to, all right, well, they're coming here. I've got to be able to access the ball here. So I actually do need to, whether it's open up my stance a little bit, which will help me do that. Um, so, yeah, you're always, you're always trying to get better, but you're doing it within the strengths that make you the player you are. You're not going outside of, of what, makes you, make, what makes you score runs because, um, yeah, if I suddenly start changing my grips, all sorts of things, then I'm not going to be able to do what works for me. Um, so yeah, it's acting your game to make sure. Yeah, that's uh, that's a fascinating and a, a really great way to explain it. You're staying within your you're staying within your parameters and your strengths, but you're uh, you're obviously then adapting little things. Now, final few questions. You've been really really generous with your time and your wisdom. Um, what are the attributes of the best players that you've seen? You've obviously mentioned Kane Williamson. He's one of the great players of the modern era. You've played with some of the great players. You've played against some great players. What are some common traits in the best players that you've seen? Um, yeah, that's a good one. I think for me, watching, watching the guys within our group at the moment, um, I was lucky enough to be out there when Kane got 250 the other in one of the tests. and Just watching his ability to be in the moment um, he can. He obviously he recognizes what the teams are doing to him at the time, but his ability to be hundred percent into that ball and in that moment, and not worry about what's gone on the last over or the last ball. Um, 
it's something that I, I just I think it's amazing and that makes him the player he is, is that he's not carrying the baggage of the last over or the shot he played the ball before. He's he's back into that next ball. And um, I think that's what, for me, yeah, I've been really amazed with how he goes about that. Um, and I think that's why he just scores a bucket load of runs, to be fair. So, yeah, I think the ability to be in the moment and not and not think about things that we don't really need to worry about. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And that, I think, I say to players, I think that's the the number one skill that every cricketer has to learn is the ability to focus in the present moment. You can be, you can have an okay technique and still be successful if you can get your attention in the present moment, which is which is so hard to do, especially in this day and age where we've got so many distractions. So that, I think, is a fascinating insight to what makes Kane so good. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah he's, a, he's, a, he's a freak, isn't he? Let's be honest, he's... He's amazing, and he's it's awesome to be able to yeah watch a guy like him go about uh, what he does. But yeah, just that ability to to just do what he does, ball after ball after ball, and and, and not be satisfied with with that is yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're coming up to your thirtieth birthday. You're still only twenty nine, which we've said a few times. Yeah, thank but... you. Yeah. I might be bald, but um, yeah, only twenty nine. So <laughs> if you could be your own mentor, where you're at now, if you knowing what you know now. Been through all these things and these experiences. If you could go back and talk to a 16, a 19, a 22 year old self, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I think don't be in a rush. Just uh, enjoy enjoy the the journey. I guess of of trying to be the best player you can be. Um, don't don't beat yourself up too much with your failures and and enjoy enjoy the little things of the game because um, you know, when you look back in 10, 15 years time, that's actually going to be the funnest part of the game. It's um, yeah, playing with your mates and, and just enjoying, yeah. Uh, yeah. Competing on a, on a day-to-day basis, but yeah, just don't be in a rush. It'll happen when it's meant to. And um, yeah, enjoy the ride. Yeah. Nice. Very, very good advice for any young player listening. Now, final question, which I ask all of our guests is what is your definition of success? Yeah, that's a hard one for me. It's it's watching. I uh, I love after you win games of cricket, sitting in the shed afterwards and just watching. Um, yeah, how much joy joy it brings to your mates around you. Um, the yeah, for me, the personal milestones. The older you get, don't actually don't mean as much. It's it's the trophies you win and and the fun that that you get to have with your mates when you when you're winning games of cricket. That's something that um yeah, it's pretty special and. And not a lot of people get to experience that uh, that side of, of team sport. And so, um, yeah, it's something that, for me, that's what success is. Yeah, awesome, mate. Well, Daz, I just want to, again, take this moment to say thank you for your generosity with your time here and sharing all these fantastic insights and also congratulate you on everything you've done up until this point. And I really wish you all the best and hope that the next five to ten years is even more sort of success, um, both personally and from a team point of view. I think your story is incredibly inspiring, as I've already said, and hopefully this podcast will, will really inspire a number of young cricketers all over the world um, to continue to chase their dreams and, and keep working hard to be the best they can be just as you've done. So, again, thank you and well done on everything, mate. Uh, cheers. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good luck with the, the winter and, and the summer ahead. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Cheers, bro. Well, legends, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Daz. 
The stories of the big dogs or game's best players have been well documented, but I love hearing these sorts of stories where people have had to work incredibly hard and are making a big impact in the game at an older age. At 29, which he kept correcting me when I said he was 30, Mitchell has years and years of work and volume behind him. He's had success and lots of failures. He's made lots of mistakes along the way. But all of this has made him ready for the biggest stage of all, international cricket. And with hundreds in test cricket and ODIs, he's certainly making a mark on the international stage. As I said to Daryl, when I played against him in Perth, I never thought he'd be an international cricketer. So to me, that shows how hard he's worked and how far he's come over the past 10 years or so to get to where he is now. I have no doubt that his best cricket is still ahead of him and he will go on to have a very successful international career and I will be supporting him all the way. No doubt there's people listening to this who can relate to where Daryl was and will hopefully be inspired by his story. Thanks again to Daryl for his time and being so open and honest with us. I'm sure you've learned something, as I know I definitely have. If you enjoyed this episode, then I'd love if you could please share it with a friend, a teammate, or a group of friends. Chuck the link in a WhatsApp or Facebook group or encourage someone who might find it interesting to listen to it. And please subscribe if you haven't already done so. That's it for this episode. I really hope you're enjoying these fascinating stories from amazing people that we're sharing with you guys. Thanks a lot for listening. Now it's time to go out and get it done, legends. Shop boy. Yeah.